0: lost my glasses. I think they're down here. Exodus chapter 28, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and uh, then we're going to move to another passage of Scripture and go from there. Everybody there at Exodus chapter 28, say amen. Amen. Boy, that sounded good. Does anybody need a pass out and you didn't get one? Didn't get one. They've got some extras back there. Now, I want you to, before we get into looking at this passage of Scripture, I want you to go back and look at the tabernacle in the wilderness with me. God told Moses to build this and he gave him the exact instructions that he wanted him to build it, I mean down to the smallest, smallest detail. And what it was, was a picture of the true tabernacle in heaven. And what it was, was to teach them how to worship God acceptably and it was to teach them the way to God and it was to teach them how to walk with God. And it showed us how that a sinful man can be reconciled to God and have access to God. When we come to church this morning, how do I know that I have access to God when I'm praying? How do I know I'm worshiping him in truth and in spirit, spirit and in truth? Well, you studied the tabernacle and teaches of that. Now, in set, let's just go through this real quick. It had the outer court, which is this, had the uh, curtains here that the entrance way. And the first piece of furniture you hit was the brazen altar. That's where the sacrifices were offered. All of this speaks of Jesus Christ and the church in Christ believers in Christ. But here was the altar. And that is pictured as a picture of the cross of Calvary where the lambs and the offerings and the blood sacrifices were given. After that, you went to the laver. And the labor is pictured, your Bible is a type of, the the labor is a type of your Bible. Wherewithal shall a young man take heed to his way, but cleanse his way according to the word of of God, the word of God's word. The Bible said, now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. So after you've been saved, you, you come through Christ in his name to the cross, accept his blood sacrifice as the Lamb of God. Then after you're saved, you have the Bible. And you read it from washing and cleansing, and then you're, you're still in the outer court. Then you have what's called the holy place. And within the holy place is the lampstand, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and God illuminating our life. There was no artificial light in here. There's the lampstand, there's a table of showbread. Jesus said, "I'm the light of the world. The showbread, I am the bread." And then it has this piece of furniture here which is called the uh, altar of incense. And it was here where as a picture of prayer. This was the veil between this and the most holy place. There's two compartments. The holy place, the most holy place. In the most holy place was the ark of the testimony which was where the presence of God was at. All right? So you had to come this way. You couldn't get here without coming through here. All right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And everything from here to here to here to here to here to there speaks of Jesus Christ. He's even the veil. The Bible talks about his flesh, which is the veil. And so that's how you came to God. And this altar here of incense was a picture of prayer, it was a picture of intercessory, it was a picture of meteorship, but in other words, how can you get to God? Now, after they built the tabernacle and all the furniture and had it set up, then God ordained and gave prescription for the priesthood. Now I want to talk to you for a little bit because I'll go into this next week. The biblical doctrine of priesthood starts back in Genesis. Initially, there was a man was his own priest. And you had that in a, 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 Adam, yeah. and in Abel bringing his sacrifice, yeah. in Noah, even Job is a picture of that. But you had him as you preach. Then it became where the family, in Exodus, it became a priest for the family. And then where the father was to offer the sacrifices and so forth and lead the family. That's established. Then after that, you had a, a tribe. The tribe of Levi was the priest tribe. In that tribe, you had a man. His name was Aaron. And God selected him and his sons to be the high priest and the common priest. As you go through into the New Testament now, what about the priesthood? God ordained that all of that was a picture of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. Amen. And you have to have a priest to get to God. You cannot get to God. The Bible calls it a mediator. The Bible calls it an advocate. The Bible calls it a propitiation. But you have to have someone that you have to go through to get to God. I, as a sinful man, cannot approach holy God without a priest. And all of this was to picture Jesus Christ as our great high priest by which you and I have access to God. Now you listen to me this morning. This is one of the reasons that Jesus Christ is so precious to me. And he ought to be precious to every child of God. Because without him I have no access to the Father whatsoever. When the Bible said, when we pray and we say in Jesus name we are saying that we are coming to God the Father in Christ's name with him as our high priest and our mediator, our intercessor. Alright? Now what the Aaron, this, this was the a this is a artist drawing of the garments of, of of Aaron the priest and all the garments and the attire that God told Moses to have made and that he was to wear on the great day of of of, uh, of atonement that high priest is a great high priest and there is just unbelievable knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the work of our God in saving us and in keeping us in our journey and our Christian life that's here. And I, I, when I take into this, it's like diving into an ocean of God's truth and I, I have to keep it narrow or I just, it won't do you any good, but that's the history of biblical priesthood. And it all points to the fact that our great high priest, Jesus Christ is what God is pointing to Now. The title, Great High Priest to Our Lord Jesus Christ, is one of the most important titles. It's one of the most interesting. It's one of the most satisfying and most faith-building titles that there is in the Word of God. We are told in Hebrews 3.1, if you want to take that down now. Before you take it down, I want you to keep this in mind. They just got through singing a song. And that's why that song got me. I was sitting on the seat. And boy, all of a sudden, I realized what they were singing. They said that he has us on his heart. Not today, but next week, just to give you an idea. Next week, we're going to talk about this article of clothing, which is called the breastplate. How many knows I've got about three suits, or three, I wear about three suits. You come here three weeks, you've seen them all, Amen. But on one of them, I have a miniature breastplate of the high priest that a Jewish woman who was saved, a woman who she's Jewish back in Connecticut, sent me. And Jewish people are very connected to this kind of thing that they have a, just an easier way of accepting it because of their background, their raising and so forth. But inside that, there was 12 stones here representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Inside that was a, it's a pouch, And inside that was called the Urim and the Thummim. I hadn't been preaching but about six months. And I was down here in Norwood one day at a gas station. And a guy walked up and said, I hear you started preaching. Yeah. He said, tell me what the Urim and the Thummim is. I had no earthly idea. But now I do know what it is. And now it's so precious. And I asked him, and he talked off on a deal. You know, there a lot of people, but I don't, I'll get off of that. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1, and we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture, and I'm just going to be methodic. This is, again, more teaching than it is evangelistic, but God said to feed the flock, and that's what I want to do. Now, watch this. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, God the Father, that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. And he goes on to talk about other issues there. Now we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, and on this handout that you've got, if I were you on the back, I would write down all of these references, and what the boys are going to do is put them up. I'm going to read them, but here's why I'm doing this. In the book of Hebrews, it was written primarily to the Hebrews. Why? Why? Because the Hebrews were having a terrible time of coming out of the system of law and the the warped uh, of of the word of God that the Jewish people and the leaders, their spiritual leaders had taken and were having a hard time moving from that to Christ. And so what Paul was doing throughout that was trying to lead them out and show them the superiority of Christ Above all of the traditions and all the junks that they had gathered up, all right now, and even of the law and so forth. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews, and uh, we're going to go to chapter 2, verse number 17. Now what I want you to know is that this is all through the book of Hebrews. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be, now you watch this, a merciful, and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. This is absolutely critical. Without it, you have, you do not have reconciliation to God. I left out one thing when I was talking to you about the priesthood in the Bible. In the New Testament, believers now are called priests. In fact, now this will blow you out, but in Revelation 1, 5, it says that he hath made us to be priests and kings. Yes. Yeah. In First Peter chapter 1, it tells us that we are a holy priesthood. Amen. Every saved person is a priest of God. Your forefathers in the faith were burned at the stake over this doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. They rejected the Roman Catholic priesthood, Amen. which is totally unbiblical. Right, and they, they, they knew these people read the Bible were saved read the Bible and said this is wrong and they embraced the priesthood of the believers now let me show you how you are when you pray for somebody sister I've heard you mention a pray for so and so if you don't have the priest's office as a believer why would you ever say such a thing because you can intercede for one another Amen. intercession is praying one for another and that's the art, the office and the responsibility. Now, the priest was also to lead in worship. I still believe in the priesthood of the father in the home. Yeah. I believe there's an application there that the father ought to lead his family in worship. And what was Job doing out there when he's praying for his children? Yeah. Priesthood, the doctrine of priesthood is very critical to the child of God. And I want you to understand this, that the right, now I'm getting cold. <laughs> Shut that door, amen. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. And uh, But the priesthood is so critical. Because listen, if we don't have a priesthood, Praying to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I can't intercede, don't ever ask me to pray for anything or about anything. Your very essence of your prayer life is the office of priesthood. You know what that means? Now watch this carefully because we're going to get into some things. God gave the priests very explicit instructions and order about their calling. Yeah, that's right. And I tell you something. I I, I get into conviction when I study this. When I read it, it gets me into conviction. Because we've descended into a a, a level of Christianity that's not good. Right. Being a priest is a high and a holy calling. Amen. And there were requirements that affected the whole nation. And it still does today. That's why God said, if my people which are called by my name. So I want to just infer this again, that we are as believers, are priest believe we have a, we're a priesthood. Amen. All right. Now Jesus is our great high priest. Amen. All right. He is the ultimate way that we get to God. He is the only way we get to God. Let's go to Hebrews. chapter Now what we're doing is laying out the foundation for 14. We're laying out the fact of Jesus Christ, high priest office, seeing then that we, the believers have a great high priest, by the way there weren't great high priests in the Old Testament in the tabernacle it was only high priest, great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin Let us therefore come to the boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me just tell you what happens when you get saved. The moment inside your spirit, and your heart that you come to God in repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ the Holy Ghost of God bursts a new man in you and God opens the way to God Almighty through the name and through the blood of Jesus Christ God gives you access to the Father through Jesus Christ when you receive Jesus Christ and believe on him in your heart that's you, you never got to God when, when you were lost amen You have no access to God without Christ. You could be dangling from an airplane and say, oh, God save me. He has no basis to hear you except through the, no one has access to God except through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, uh, that's why he said precious. He's precious. Let's go further now to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men. Now he's talking about that Old Testament system. By the way, Caiaphas was the high priest when Jesus Christ was being tried. This priesthood was still in effect when Jesus was walking on this earth. And they had moved out of the tabernacle into the temple. And they still had the veil and all of it. Okay? Now, keep that in mind. For every high priest taken from men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer sins. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those priests back there in the Old Testament. They were sinners too, and they had to make offerings for their own sins. Then after that, they could make offering for the people's sins. And verse number four, no man take this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God. That, was, no, the call of God as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now, watch this as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let's stop here for just a minute. In the Old Testament, there were two orders of priests. If you were a Mormon, you and, and, and you let them teach you a bunch of stuff, they'll twist you up some bad right here make your head swim. But yeah. what they're doing is magnifying you, not Christ. Right. And, and they have Aaronic Order quote, they let men be Aaronic Order priests and Melchizedek Order priests. And oh my goodness, you can just go out there, temple, and you can go through all their rituals, and they're going to make you think you're a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Biggest lie you ever heard in your life? Amen. Playing upon men's pride. There's only one person that's ever been a high priest after the order of Mechizedek, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Nobody else. Amen. But anyway, Melchizedek is a different order. Now, and we, I will study this sometime about Melchizedek because there's a lot about it in this past scripture. That's back in Genesis chapter 14. And he comes on the scene with Abraham, who is the father of faith. Very interesting study about the, Melchizedek the priest, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death and was hurt in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became... Now what's this. Now he's talking about Jesus Christ, a priest not after the Aaronic priesthood, but after the Melchizedek priesthood. This is what it says about him. Here it's talking about his humanity. God became man. Now being made perfect, he became the author of it. What kind of salvation? Now, it's something you can learn by studying this priest. There's one reason I preach this. I am not this. I don't care if nobody says I'm not interested. If you said this is the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. It's some of the most important stuff there is in the Bible. And it'll be also some of the most important stuff for you for eternity. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And the only kind of salvation he ever gave anybody was eternal salvation. If somebody is preaching to you a temporal salvation that you can lose, they are not preaching to you the the, the salvation our Lord Jesus Christ gives. Amen. I'm sorry. It's different gospel. Totally different gospel. It's another gospel. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. He's the, he became author of the eternal salvation of them that obey him. What? Obey the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Of whom many things are said, hard to be uttered, seeing you or dull of hearing. And it goes ahead there. Now let's move on up, if we will, to chapter 6 and verse number 20. Whether the forerunner, uh, which hope we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. What's that? Now remember the tabernacle? You had the outer court, you had the holy place, and then inside the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. What it's saying here is that Jesus Christ, his work, work, his high priest work, he entered into that within the veil. The four hundred is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever at the order of Melchizedek. Let's go on down now to chapter 7, and we're going to go over to verse 11. Let's go to verse number 11. We don't have time to go through all this this one. Now watch this carefully. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, that's your ironic priesthood, where God called them, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Now watch this carefully. If you happened uh, to be raised in a, a religion of where there's priests that you'd go to, this will help you. For the priesthood being changed. The priesthood was changed. When Jesus died on the cross, all that Old Testament priesthood stuff was done away with. All of those, all of those feasts, all of those uh, uh, offerings, it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you what God does. God brings everything ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ, honor and glory. There is no need now. I don't go to a priest. Here's the weird part about it is, okay, the Catholic Church says, and I'm not against Catholics. Just just get off that. Be a little smarter than a stand back there with or sit back or sit in line and say, we well, hate Catholic. Just because somebody disagrees with you, does that mean they hate you? No, it doesn't. And I'm sick of that sodomite talk. Yeah, right. Anyway, Lord help me. So you got the Roman Catholic priest now. And so you're supposed to go to confession, right? What are you doing at confession? You sit down, and he got a little curtain here, and what do you tell him? You tell him all your sins. And supposedly, what's this? Supposedly, he has some kind of supernatural power to absolve you before God. Even Mary is called an intercessor. She's a mediator in the Catholic Church to some people. Some people say, "Red, I don't believe that. Some say, okay, but they teach that. Mary has no mediatorial power, no intercessory, no priestly power for you, and those men don 't either. Let me just give you one his recent historical deal about 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 this stuff. one of the most sickening things that makes me sick and i 'm just i don 't know how this will go but i 'm going to do it anyway. There was a spy who sold out American secrets they sold. The secrets of our nuclear submarines to Russia back in the 70s and 80s. Okay? It was while Reagan was president. This man had access to the movement and the future movements of all of our nuclear submarines, which was critical to a nuclear war. This man was selling to the Russians those secrets. His wife was aware of it, they were Catholic. She went and told the priest and she got him to go to the priest. Guess what that priest did when he was told what he was doing? Nothing. Said, just don't do it anymore. And if you give the Catholic church enough money, we'll absolve you. Do you realize you are dealing in satanic depths of satanic Amen. wickedness and depravity that's almost beyond the mind to think that a man who claims to be a representative to God would put in jeopardy the entire population of the United States people? Because he didn't want it out that a Catholic was, tra- was, was uh, tra- uh, being traitorous to America. He didn't want the stain on the church. Now, they're not the only ones that have sold out America. So don't get it. It wasn't just because he's a Catholic. Okay, don't get that on. But what I'm telling you is this. Do you think that a man who messes with little boys has has an inside track with God Almighty? Now, let me just tell you something else. The Protestant church. Baptists, Pentecostals, you name it, I don't care, you name it, suit yourself, has developed a priesthood system that's unbiblical, and it's called Christian counseling. And it's when you come into the pastor, and you've got to talk to him a little bit, and he wants you to pour everything out in your soul that, oh, he's going to sit there, and you're going to tell him about all your struggles, and all the garbage that's been going through your mind, and all your temptations, and he's supposed to help you. And then they really get dicey about it when his wife wants to come in. And she tells about how him and her husband, they're not getting along, and, and our sensual life is no good, and on and on and on. It's wicked as hell. Yep. And you got Protestant preachers that are doing this everywhere, and they're practicing little priests yep. who believe that somehow or another this guy is so in touch with God, he can help me. Yeah. This priest to this issue, see what's happened. Is that the average Protestant church goer, quote, knows better than, if he has any kind of understanding at all, knows better than the priesthood deal. So we don't call them priests, we call them counselors. Yeah. Yeah. You be careful who you pour your heart out to. Yeah. You pour your heart out to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Nobody else. I don't need to hear all your junk, and you sure don't need to hear mine, and I ain't telling you. <laughs> it ain't none of your business. And then what happens is with this junk, people get leverage on them. Right. Yeah. They get leverage. <clears throat> they, I got uh, this, this stuff. But this priesthood has been changed. You don't, hey, the Catholic priests are not killing lambs. They don't. They don't have the holy place. They don't have the most holy place. They don't have a lampstand. They don't. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> okay. Let's go to the next one here. Uh, seven. What are we at seven? 8, 1-5. Now the things which have spoken this in the Son, that we have such an high priest to sit on the right hand of the Lord majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and not man that's up in heaven. And every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices wherefore it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. All this tabernacle in the temple was, was a picture of heaven. And by the way, you body is, the, the, the tabernacle is a picture of your body. You have outer court. Your soul is the most holy place and your spirit is the holy place. And that's where God is in you. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, let's move on down. I want to move on through. Let's go to one. Uh, Man, some of this stuff is so wonderful. Then verily the first covenant had ordinance of a divine service, worldly sanctuary. This is the tabernacle. Where there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid around about with the golden was with the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that had budded, and tables of the covenant. What was all that about? The manna, Jesus, of the bread, the Aaron's rod that budded, that's Jesus' resurrection. Verse number five, and over it the Cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we can now not, cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always in the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all. The way to God was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure. That tabernacle was a figure. It was a picture. It was a typology for the time then present in which were both offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers, washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. That's not talking about Martin Luther. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Verse number 11. When, but Christ, here it is, becoming a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained what? Eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator. There's your priest of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the t- testator. If you're included in the will, that will is not activated till that person dies that you're a recipient of that will too. You and I were not recipient until Jesus died, he did, but he died for us and rose from the dead. For a testament of the force after men are dead, otherwise no strength while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first Testament was dedicated without blood. For when Je- Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. Saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things by the law are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What was the better sacrifice? Jesus Christ, yeah. for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He didn't didn't go into the temple and tabernacle, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's our high priest. He is now appearing in the presence of God for us. He's our high priest. Yeah. Nor yet that he should offer himself. Often, as the high priest entered in the holy place every year without blood of others, for then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. Watch this now. But now once in the world, that's at the cross, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's go to 13, verse number 10, and then we'll jump into the message real quick and get you out of here. I'm trying to be honest with you. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of these beasts whose blood is brought into sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now watch this. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And boy, what a message that is. Now, we're going to go on with this today, and I'm going to try to. It was done through. I want you to put the priest back up, guys, if you would. This priestly work was done through a sacrifice or a substitute. It was done and through, it was done through a mediator, a high priest. God said you've got to have a substitute, you've got to have a sacrifice, and it has to be done through a properly God-appointed priest. Watch this. Jesus Christ was both the Lamb, He was the substitute and the sacrifice, and He was our high priest. He's our all-in-all. And from beginning to end, this tabernacle was a picture or a foreshadow or a typology of every aspect of the ministry and the work and redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave out some things. I want to go directly to chapter 28 and verse 39 of Exodus. Chapter 28 and verse 39. Now, when God gave these garments to the priest, now what I'm going to preach on here for just a little bit is the garments of the priest. In chapter four, verse chapter 28 and verse number four it said, "These are the garments which they shall make: a breastplate, an ephod, and a robe, and a bordered coat, a mitre, and a girdle." I'm going to preach on three things today, and that is, number one, this, the coat, the embroidering on the coat, and the girdle, and those three things, and i tell you what, it'd be a blessing to you. Uh, the first thing to be put on, if you got this priest up here, was this right here. This was called the coat, and it was the foundation piece of garment that was put upon him. Now, I'm going to run with some verses. And I want you to, now what this speaks of right here is the right, now that's a picture of our high priest. That robe that was put on is a picture of his righteousness and how that righteousness is imputed to you and I. Yeah, that's right. That was the first thing to be put on. Fine linen in the Bible always represents the righteousness of God. Amen. Righteousness, now get this. I want everybody to look up here. Righteousness is the foundation of your salvation. There is no salvation that does not produce righteousness. Any preaching of salvation that excludes that is a false preaching of the gospel. All right. Now, the question is, how can a holy God receive sinful men like myself? Jesus Christ is holy, he is pure, he is sinless. I want you to listen what people in the Bible that he was around said about him, both his friends and his enemies. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife called Jesus Christ that just man. Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. The thief said, this man hath done nothing amiss. The centurion who was there at his crucifixion said that he was a righteous man. God the Father looked down and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter said that he was holy and that he was just. Stephen called Christ the just one. And Ananias, the priest, said he was the just one. Paul said that he was in all points tempted, as you and I are, yet without sin, and in him is no sin. Jesus Christ, our high priest, was totally and absolutely and eternally forever righteous. There was no sin in him, and because of that, he could be the offering and the offerer for our sins. Revelation 19.8, put that up on the board if you don't care, guys. Revelation 19.8, and we'll run from there. The Bible said that the fine linen represents the righteousness of the saints. You not mean to tell me that God looks at me and sees fine linen. Where did I get that fine linen from? I got it from my high priest. The Bible said in verse number uh, eight, and to her it was granted that she should be wearing fine linen, cleaning white, for the fine linen is what? The righteousness of saints. Where did I get the righteousness that I have? First Corinthians chapter one and verse number 30. First Corinthians one and verse number 30. The Bible said, Christ Jesus is made unto us righteousness, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It all comes from Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, Jesus Christ knew no sin, that we might be made The righteousness of God, wow, in him. Go to Romans chapter 4, verse number 1. Again, I'm sitting up here. I'm feeling, this is boring, they're not getting anything out of it, they're going to sleep, you're hot, I don't know, maybe open the door again, I'm hot, I don't know what to say. Somehow the devil says, something just says to me, you're just giving Bible, 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 and it's boring. I hope it's not. What should we say that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to flesh, hath found? What do we find? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. And this is how you're saved. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior believe upon His death, burial, and resurrection of His blood shed for you, place your faith and trust in Him, God imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to you. He imputes your sin to Jesus Christ. You are now made righteous in the sight of God, not because you're a good person, not because you got baptized, not because you go to church, but because Christ died in your place, satisfied propitiation, the just demands of a holy God, and now God by your faith in Christ, God imputes his righteousness to you. Amen. And that's a miracle. I mean, that is just a miracle. Let's go on down there. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision, the nation of Israel only, or upon the circumcision, the Gentiles also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now watch this carefully. This will be a side deal. Who was first, Abraham or Moses? Abraham. Abraham, By hundreds of years. Now what he's teaching these people here is that salvation didn't come by the law. Didn't come through Moses. That God was imputing righteousness to men way before the law was given on Mount Sinai. He said, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for what? righteousness. Righteousness. You're giving money does not make you righteous. You're, you're, you can be a nun, you can be a Buddhist priest, you can be a Mormon that goes to church 14 times a week, and none of that's going to make you righteous. It is faith in Jesus Christ's blood and his sacrifice that God imputes his righteousness to you. He said, was it in reckoned when he was in circumcision? He said, when God saved Abraham, did he save him when he was in circumcision or out of circumcision? He saved you out of circumcision is what he you you know what he's telling those people? Your circumcision didn't save. You're putting big stock in that and he's saving you. Right. For he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith. The circumcision was a seal. It wasn't the righteousness itself. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Amen. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5. That's chapter 3. Let's see if we can get chapter 5. Thank you. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more shall they which receive abundance of grace and of the what? Gift of righteousness. Salvation is a gift. Christ righteousness to you is a gift. Shall reign in the life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, what? Grace did much more abound. What's this? That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through what? Grace does not reign through sin. That's right. And I just to be honest with you. I told my brother Van this week that the thing that amazes me is not that God loved me while I was a sinner. That's amazing enough. But that God loves me as a son. Because I'm telling you, Brother Randy, I don't know when I'm getting like David and Abraham, all of them. I'm getting worse as I get older. But there's one thing that's happening to me. It's become as crystal clear as a spring coming out of the hillside to me. That the only hope I have is in the substitutionary, sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And if I am going to heaven on any kind of performance I do, I'm headed to hell. I'll never make it. And I'm your pastor. I want everybody in this building, the sound of my voice, to put your trust completely in Jesus Christ and His substitutionary death for your sin. I don't want you to put any trust at all in how good you are, or what you've done, or not do, or give. Or I, don't, I don't care. You name it. Nothing else except Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans chapter three, verse number twenty-one. Romans three, verse number twenty-one. There's just lots. Of, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even what? The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there's no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be what? A propitiation through what? Faith in his blood. I wish all the people that thinks you've got to be baptized to be saved read that. to declare his, watch this, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin. That in the past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say it this time, his righteousness. Can anybody get the message? It's all about his righteousness. It's not about my righteousness. Go to Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6. Write this verse down. But we are all Karen, just shut your eyes and turn your head. That, that woman right there is probably the most godly person I've ever been around in my life. I'm just being honest with you. But she's a sinner. We're all. By the way, you'll never get saved until you realize that you're a sinner. Right. Until you get away from your own righteousness. Look at what God's alt word says. And this is so true. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, plural, is as filthy rags. Best day you've ever done. Best day you've ever lived in the sight of Almighty God's like filthy rags. My righteousness will never get me into heaven. Now I'm going to rejoice and worship him this morning because he imputed his righteousness to me by faith in Jesus Christ's blood. Let's go to another passage of scripture here. Romans chapter 10, verse number three. For they all get this. He's talking to the Jewish nation now, the people of Israel. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. How can a person be ignorant of God's righteousness? Just go to church, they'll show you. They'll tell you how to live good and be righteous and be this and be that and how good you are and all that stuff. And everybody's on a cell. You know what Jesus is scathing preaching against the Pharisees was? Self, against their self-righteousness. Right. It was constantly against their self-righteousness. Because you'll never get his righteousness as long as you're depending and trusting in your own righteousness. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Now, how does that happen in a church? How does that happen in your religious experience? Well, if you wear long enough dress, you keep your hair cut short, you go to church faithfully, you give, you get baptized. There's all this stuff that, oh, and they'll talk about the cross, but they really believe that what I'm doing is at least, may not have saved me, but is maintaining my salvation and they're going about to establish their own. That's all Jehovah Witnesses stuff is. That's all Catholicism is. That's all Mormonism is. That's what 90% of Protestantism is. It's going about to establish your own. I'm going to tell you about this place. You may not feel comfortable here, but this is the first church of the wicked. <laughs> We're a bunch of people that should have been in hell. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to get up here and act to you how great I live all week long because I don't. I'm telling you, if I don't have a Savior, I'm sunk. Amen. And if I can point you to the Lamb of God today, that'll be, then I'll have done my course. Amen. Wow. Look at this. They being ignorant of God's right. How are they? What is God's right? It's Christ's righteousness imparted and imputed to you. That's what it's all about. It's a gift. If that ever hits you upside this heart, you, I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll jump and shout and thank God Almighty. Amen. That's no longer you. It's a gift. It's faith in Christ. Being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So why wouldn't somebody submit themselves to the righteousness of God? Same reason them scribes and Pharisees wouldn't. I'm holy. You see this. I'm telling you, folks, this stuff's round. It's, It's pretty thick. Yeah. And by the way, it don't have to wear a suit and tie. It can wear overhauls. Pride and self-righteousness, dress about any old way you want to. And I'm just saying this to you. You ever submit yourself to, you know what you do to submit yourself to the righteousness of God? Say, Lord, I don't have any righteousness. I am a guilty, vile, filthy sinner. Deserve hell. And now submit to your righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God imputes that righteousness. He's the one who does it. And he makes you righteous. Well, let's go to, uh, I want everybody to get this. Philippians 3.9. This is, if I, if I had a tombstone, which I don't really want, but this is probably what I'd write on it right here. And be found where? Not having mine own righteousness. Everybody get that. And be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. But that that righteousness, which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's where you want to be found. You listen to me. If that's not how you're found, when you die, you'll bust hell wide open. Amen, You must be found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, that's what that coat's about. I want to ask you today, what do you trust in? Your righteousness or Christ's righteousness? Now, in Titus 3.5 it says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You place your faith and your trust in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Trust that as your Savior, God, and and God imputes Christ's righteousness to you, imputes your sin to Christ. God saves you, reconciles you. I want you to put up Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10. We're getting along pretty good, believe it or not. I want you to look what old Isaiah. I I studied the other day and I said, bless God, old Isaiah. He laid it out. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Isaiah, what are you shouting about? Isaiah, what are you happy about? Isaiah, you ought to be down in the mouth. Your country is going to depart.
1: Yeah. And
0: there was. Amen. You ought to be down the mouth. The religious people were departing from the word of God. Yeah. And yet he says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and my soul will be joyful in my God. Why? Isaiah, why? Yeah. He hath... Clothed me with the garments of salvation. What are the garments of salvation? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's right. And he said this. He's covered me with robe as a as a bridegroom. Somehow another I've lost my place here. And covered, there it is. What's this? He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Amen. That's what he's shouting about. That's right. He said, I ain't trusting my own self. I am not trusting how good I am. I'm going to rejoice that God has given me his clothing and his robe. And there's a bunch of stuff I could preach about this. Now, uh, if you go back to, let's go back to Exodus chapter 28. I'm going to show you this and we'll get you out of here. I like this. How many of you ladies have ever embroidered? Is that what he's saying? Embroidery. All right. How, now they got this newer stuff you can just stick it on, right? What do you call that? Huh? Somebody help me. Velcro. Okay. Velcro? Velcro. I don't know. Oh, okay. Applique. All right. Now, God don't applique you. He embroiders you. Yeah. <laughs> now, embroidery means you take the needle and you work it into the fabric. Now, watch this. This is beautiful. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 38, verse 39. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen. So God has, He saved you, and He gave you Christ's righteousness. Yeah. Then He says, "Now we're going to embroider the robe." Yeah. Hmm. What was embroidering about? Purdying things up. Yep. Letting the beauty of Jesus be seen yep. in you. So I'm going to ask y'all. I'm going to tell you all what God's doing with you right now. He's embroidering on you. He saved you and gave you the robe of righteousness. And now he says, guess what we're gonna do next? We're gonna embroider you. Yeah. Now, how many's ever done a little bit of embroidery I've been around it. Alright? How many's ever looked at it from the underside? Yeah. Beautiful, isn't it? Oh, no. Looks like a big mess. Yeah. How many of you might think your life's a mess right now? <laughs> You ever thought my life's a mess? But you're seeing it from this side. Yes. Amen. God's seeing it from that side. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you something. If you've got a robe of righteousness, you've been saved, what is it that you might think God would kind of sew on, sew in your robe first? Now, he's going to embroider. I'm telling you, what you, you don't like it, don't like it. You're going to the embroidery shop. <laughs> The church is an embroidery shop. And you come in here and the needle. And every Sunday God's working. There's a psalm that says, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That embroidering of a material is to enhance its beauty that that righteousness might stand out and be seen and the the reflection of that right. So if God's embroidering you, What's he putting on? What's he doing? Anybody, has anybody been embroidered on this week? Yeah. How many would like to have patience embroidered into your robe? <laughs> Just a low rumble like thunder. God will embroider patience in our lives. How many thinks you might be good to have a little embroidery of joy on you? Yeah. How many a little bit of long-suffering? And God will embroider some love. And God is embroidering in me some gentleness. (laughs) And he's embroidering me in some kindness. And he's embroidering me some patience. Because these are all aspects of Jesus Christ. He gave us his righteousness. And he's going to embroider that righteousness with the beauty of Jesus Christ. And he wants that beauty shown to the people that you and I are going to be around next week. Yeah, that's right. So, does anybody say I wish God would sow something, sow this in me? Yes, brother. Uh, well, uh, patience. You want some patience sewn in you? Get ready for tribulation; it's coming. But I'm telling you, do how I many you would say, Reggie? You know, really honestly, I need some patience embroidered in on me. Yeah. All right. Anybody else got something? that you think you? Yes. Charity. Charity. We need that. God wants to. Make that, see that's not just what'd you call that stuff a little Applique. Applicate. God just ain't going. Pfft. He works it into you. Stitch at a time. Yeah. Skillful, skillful work. Does this make sense? Yeah. Yes. Now, real quick before we get done, the last piece of this coat and it, it had the coat put on you, then you had the embroidering done, and there was a girdle. Now it ain't like you're thinking about. <laughs> Okay, the girdle was a glorified belt. Yeah. It kept your britches up. <laughs> and by the way, this guy, we're going to get into this. He wore britches. That's why your old-time American men used to say, you better figure out who's going to wear the britches in your house. Right. Yeah. It weren't women in the Bible that wore the britches. Yeah. Okay? The Bible teaches husband's leadership, loving, sacrificial, give your life for your bride. But you led, you rule the house. Yeah. Better not go there today. We ain't going to go there today. But the girdle. Well, there's three things about the girdle. So you go to the New Testament, and find out what it is. Girt. Girt. What does the Bible say in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to be girt with? The word of God. The word of God, truth. That's right. All right. This is going to be now you hang on with that. You hang on to that. Because that's exactly what happens. Now, you're going to talk about the, the girding here. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Wait a minute. What's truth? Where you'll find truth at? The robe of Jesus' righteousness, picturing Christ, the embroidering picture of Christ. We're to gird ourselves with truth. Jesus said this. Watch this. My word is truth. Amen. Gird yourself with truth. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to gird that robe of righteousness with his truth. So the first thing it is, it's about, it's about standing. Because he said, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. And if you're saved and given his righteousness, God wants you to stand for him Jesus said I'm the way the truth. Jesus the truth. the second thing the girding is about is serving. The Bible said he girded himself and served them. All right? So the girding the belt was about it was about standing and it was about serving. Hebrews 7:25 says wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them as a high priest with that robe of righteousness. He is standing Amen. In our gap, He's standing in our place. He is serving us by interceding for us and advocating for us. First John says we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Isaiah said again in Isaiah eleven four 4, and 5, listen to this. And righteousness shall be the girdle of His loins, and faithfulness the girdle of His reins. Now remember something. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. We are in him, all right? He has on this embroidered robe, pictures his righteousness and his work within us, but a girdle does something very important. It holds and it binds and it secures. Christ and his people are not only clothed in his righteousness, but that righteousness is bound to us by the eternal righteousness, the word of God. How do I know that I'm secure. The girdle of truth. Amen. That's right. Bound. That's it. Now you can say, well, Reggie, my belt might slip. Well, I've got news for you. Jesus' girdle is never going to slip. Amen. That's right. Never going to get out of whack. His righteousness, imputed to me by faith, is bound to me by the girdle of his truth. Now, wait. hang on just a second. The old timers used to say, and they got it from the Bible, that a man's word is his bond. God's word is his bond, bind. Watch this. You have the righteousness of Christ. What does he do? He takes his word and bonds your righteousness with his truth. And for you... To lose the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his word would have to be broken and God would be a liar. <clears throat> Isn't that something? Yeah. Man, oh man, you study this priest, it's something else. Every detail of that priest speaks of Jesus Christ, what he done, and what he is to you and I. Isn't that neat? Yeah. But oh, I'll tell you what, wait till next week we get to that breastplate. I'll show you some things about Jesus Christ and I'll tell you what. Be blessed to you. Well, it's 138, 138. We didn't do too bad. Now it's only 12, 12 stand. Let's stand.